0: had to accept that I was different. It's like driving a car with a flat tire. You can't keep driving the car with a flat tire and deny that it's flat and expect to run in an optimal way. It's going to take an effort to come out of the car, look at it, say it's flat. It's going to be hard to fix it, but I'll do it. Then you Mm -hmm. change it. And when you're running with a spare tire, it's probably never going to be the same again, but
1: at least your car is running. Welcome to the Ambitious Tribe podcast with your chief encourager, Cassie Pajarillo. It's time to drive ambition and build a better business with a plan that's clear, transformative, progressive, and profitable. Now for your host, Cassie Pajarillo.
2: Hi everyone, it's Cassie. Welcome to the Ambitious Drive podcast. In this episode, we have the North and Latin America News Bureau Chief of ABS-CBN, the largest broadcast and digital network in the Philippines. And I can't help but feel proud to have been called as his friend. He's a mental health and wellness advocate and one of the country's best news anchor, sportscaster, and journalist for over 20 years. Just to share, he and his family are one of my favorite people on the planet. In fact, I call his wife, Mommy, as well. Started to even call his big sister, Ate. has been the most supportive in almost all of my crazy entrepreneurial ventures. It's also funny how we actually met, but thank God to the internet. We co-hosted the very first Twitter festival in the country. Uh, he was also our cover guy to our magazine. My friends and I decided to put together a long time ago. Let's not talk about that anymore. But I managed to keep my cool when I when um, he said yes yet again to be part of the show in a heartbeat. I'm just so, so happy with that. I invited this kind-hearted, brilliant, talented, funny, and supportive human being because his work is more than just reporting. I always tell my friends also that when you talk about this person, he is filled with integrity. His work is open, smart, brilliant, and observant. He always centers his efforts to raise awareness and preventive measures for health, wellness and mindfulness. I cannot wait for you guys to listen to this special interview. I know you'll find him inspiring and interesting as I do. He's also going to answer a few of the community's questions. So stay tuned. As vision Lakhiani said when they met in LA, oh, so you're the journalist. Today I'd say I'm <laughs> proud to be called as his friend. Terrence Beschestry, we have here TJ Monoto. Hey TJ, I'm so excited. Hello. You're here.
0: Hello. Cassie, thank you for having me. I was so excited to, you know, if you were saying you're excited, I was excited when you said, you know, you wanted to guess me in your podcast, which is wonderful. I mean, I know just some of the the names you've had before, and it's an honor, it's a privilege, and I I I love podcasting. I'm probably going to put one up on my own soon so but I just You're love shut. the long I will I will don't worry about it will be you'll be the first to know but I love these conversations where people can really listen listen in and um you know and, and learn from each other I mean when That's I've great. been guesting in some podcasts I you know we engage in a conversation it's not just a strict Q&A and I've been learning so no. much so thanks for doing this so proud of you so happy for you
2: Thank you so much. You know, I was a little nervous as well because I mean, I know you and I are friends, sure, but because you are a journalist. You know, your things together. There's certain all these things, and I was like, you know what? I might not just like not think about it. this is my show. Why should I even bother? Yeah, but, <laughs> but 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 of course, I'm so happy, and I just wanted to say congratulations. Also, um, I just heard that, that you were part of the 15th annual MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Oh yes, that is yes. huge. That was, oh, that was pretty gosh.
0: exciting. Yeah, that's as you said earlier thanks to the internet that's how we met right on twitter right and um i don't know i i I was awkward to ask but i was noticed by Daryl Mori, who is the president of the philadelphia 76ers and he is the founder of the sloan sports management conference that's been going on for 15 years and one day i just get a dm from him (laughs) inviting me to join the mental health panel and he you know he wanted to make it as as diverse as possible and not just focus on the players. So, you know, I was like, okay, I was the journalist who has an experience and advocacy. I'm like, great. So I was there with Shane Battier, um, one of the best, you know, collegiate and NBA players. Um, And Mm. he he played with, for Eric Sposa, our Kababayan of the Miami Heat, Mm -hmm. won a championship with them. And as well, um, Kevin Warren, the commissioner of one of the NCAA conferences here, the Big Ten. So just the three of us. And I was so humbled to be there. On that mm. stage, um, may have been virtual for now, but but to speak there and share my story and and to see the commonalities of what we all go through, whether you're a big time athlete, mm. you're a journalist, you're, you know, a farmer or an entrepreneur, everybody goes through something uh, on mm. different levels, different scales. And it's it's great to share, you know, how, you know, how we deal with them, right? So yeah. thanks for bringing that up. That was so cool. Yeah. yeah
3: it's it's going to so come so out cool. soon.
0: It was just, oh. it was just exclusive for those who bought the tickets to the uh, event but okay. usually weeks after they upload all the cha- all the panel talks to youtube so oh, perfect, awesome. perfect.
2: Yep. I, I'll, I'll definitely keep an eye out on that. Yeah. yeah, so when I learned about it too, I told my husband, because my husband is really more of the sports kind of guy, and I told him about it, and he was like, what, that is some big shit. Ma. I was like, oh, okay. I
3: big,
0: it's a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: Okay, all right. Okay, keep keep your cool. It's like, yeah, that's so huge. And then he saw that you were in the same stage as the vice president of Miami Heat. He was like, oh my gosh, hey, yeah. that's yeah. so yep. almost awesome, right? <clears throat> yep. So you've, you've accelerated your career so much and i'm just so really proud of you i can't stop saying that um to teach you know i mean we are the ambitious tribe in here i mean this episode is really i mean this podcast is really more on pursuing your passion your endeavors and your ambition and i want to you know i want to ask you about that how did you get here I mean for the most part in sports in our country we all know that it's not as lucrative it's you know it's not that supportive but of course correct me if the landscape is different right, right now but has this always been the dream what was the big vision you had that led you to where you are right now?
0: Oh, um, well, I was asked this a few times as well recently, but, you know, being in broadcasting, let's put it that way, it's, it's, it's branded as that first, whether it's sports or news, whatever. Being in broadcasting sure. was never a dream, never a goal. Um, yeah. It just, you know, I was led into it, I think, serendipitously because I my first job after college was I was a basketball coach and I was coaching um, one of the teams in the Green Hills. And, you know, it's a part-time job. So I was earning 4,000 pesos a month gross. The net was 3. six, And this is, in, this is in 1999. And, you know, I wanted to, you know, be independent as much as I could and be on my own. So I said, you know, it's a part-time job and I have other hours in the day. Maybe I could find another part-time job that could pay me better so that I could still sustain this coaching job. And I looked around what, what was what you know my friends were into. And I had a couple of friends who were into sports casting already. Um, one of which was Luigi Trillo, who's a good friend of mine from a uh, friend and teammate in La Salle. He was mm-hmm. into sports casting uh, at that time, as well as his wife, Ria Trillo, Ria Tanuatko mm-hmm. Trillo. And I had a cousin also, Vanessa Mayuga, who was um, a courtside reporter for the TBL, which was under the production of Vintage at the time. So I knew two. I'm like, okay, I'll just give resumes. I, I, like, I thought I could do, sports reporting. I said, okay, maybe that's something I can do because I know the game. I don't know yeah. the skills of it, but at least I know mm-hmm. the game well. Um, so I submitted my resumes, and you know, I started out actually with the MBA first with the ABS Event Sports for a very brief period for like a couple of months, and then the PBA came knocking on my door and gave me a crazy opportunity to be an analyst right away, not just a sports reporter. And they took a gamble on me. Um, because at the time, um, Vic Del Rosario was heading the production of the PBA then, v- Viva Vintage became a merger. So okay. he was calling the shots and there were two openings, which is rare, because there was a new team called Red Bull and uh, they got two of the regular analysts before. Yang Giao became their coach and Howe mm-hmm. became um, their team assistant team manager. So there were two vacancies on the regular slot of analysts, which is so rare. It's I mean, Kinito Henson's still there, right? He's been there for the longest time, and it's rare that anybody leaves. And Vic Delosario told the late Ronan Nathaniel that he wanted some young blood. I mean, being the showbiz guy that he is, he wanted some young blood and to gamble on young blood. So that's how Paolo Trillo and I got the break. I think we were two of the youngest analysts ever in the PBA. Imagine we were 23 years old. (laughs) If it happened today, in this day and age, we would have been crucified on twitter that's for sure (laughs) who young who are these guys they're not former players what do they know about the game this is not but thank god there was no social media at the time there was been no exchange but i wasn't into it yet so good i didn't hear all the chat or whatever but you know at the end of the day then i fell in love with broadcasting so it started there with sports casting and then i thought you know i wanted to do more and open and expound my boundaries uh, and i was always visualizing that i would be a a TV host as well mm-hmm. on, on a non-sports platform. And it happened. Eventually I found myself into GMA seven with Unang Hirit and I became yes. the Palenque King at six in the morning. <laughs> I you don't know. know what
3: to say I remember it was, that.
0: It was such a it was such an extreme. So at night you'll see me in the PBA. As an analyst, the next morning you watch GMA 7, you see me in the palenque uh, telling you the latest prices of the kilo ng Baboy and honoring the palenque queen for the day. So right. that started my career on mainstream, and then eventually, um, you know, they give me a couple of other gigs on GMA. I did, uh, I hosted Bilibin in Filipinas, I was able to um, um, be a part of um, the primetime newscast as well. I did I did a showbiz segment actually. That was mm-hmm. the time when they were trying to. Put a male anchor uh, on Showbiz, like how they do it here in the U.S. with Entertainment Tonight. There's always a male and a female. Mm. So I predated Pia Guano and I only mm. say she replaced me because she had better legs. So <laughs> I think it's clear that. But yeah. getting aside, so and then after that, you know, I I I got another break. I, I was offered to ABCBN to do more with news and sports. And since 2004, that's it. I've been a Kapamilya and thankfully, with the Capamilia Network, there's just so many opportunities yes. from, you know, from the Channel 2 platforms with TV Patrol, UKG, and then on ANC, and then with, with uh, the sports channels and ABC been Sports. So it was just, uh, it's was just, uh, it been an amazing ride, uh, put it that way, <laughs> to, to be able to do what, I, what I've fallen in love to do. I don't know if it's something always a dream, just raising my question. But yeah. it's it's been such a pleasure and it's so honored to be in people's TV screens and now, you know, mini screens, big screens, whatever, and share with them what I learned. I mean, I'm just, I'm a vessel, I'm conduit, you know, so whatever I learn, you know, to, through the people I interview, I pass it on. So that's been, that's the game. Wow.
2: No, but TJ, have you ever thought like, yeah. I'm going to go global? I'm going to be, you know, the news bureau of the United States? <laughs> no. Something like that. No. I mean, did you ever, ever had that? That no. big dream to be there. No, right. No, I mean,
0: this, <laughs> this, where I am right now with, with no. ABS CBN here in North America, happened yeah. again. Yeah. I think serendipitously one day I was, you know, getting a feeling a little bit burnt out with my schedule because I had a uh, before I left the Philippines, I had a late night sports show called The Score
3: mm.
0: and mm-hmm. the morning show on ANC. So I was literally averaging about four to five oh hours God, of sleep every sweet. day. Mm-hmm. That, that ran for about a couple of years. And I was, Feeling the fatigue and the strain, and I was telling myself, um, I would be too much of a hypocrite if here I am now coming out as a wellness advocate because this is around the time that I released this yes, video yeah. on mental health, which I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll talk about more, more later. And I told myself I'd be a hypocrite if I keep forcing this issue and test the, the limits of my body. So right. I talked yeah. to my bosses and I said, you know, I think I gotta let go of something, you know, one of the two or one of the, you know, or find a different balance. And I just said, is there anything else I could do? um and then one of my bosses <laughs> said well
3: Wala.
0: there is an opening in San Francisco hey. and then that was it and then one thing led to another They we talked to the senior VP and, and she said she loved the idea and and my family was game to come here as well I had some family here at the time so it all really fell into place Felt and the perfect time so that's how I'm here
2: yeah I, I remember that you just you just share it over the internet, guys. I'm leaving. I was like, what? What's
0: happening? <laughs> we kept, yeah, We gotta <laughs> keep it secret for a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's formally announced. Yeah. So,
2: yeah, paradigm shift. Is...
0: You know, paradigm right. shift. Took on the challenge and um, next chapter of my life. So, here we are.
2: Yeah, so I was uh, like, I was, uh, I was panicking mm-hmm. a bit. I was like, what, 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 what where is he going? Oh what, where? <laughs> what, what? Wait. <laughs> and then just like, ah, okay, it's just in San Francisco. Okay, okay, he's good, and he's still in ABS. Okay, okay, he's fine. I thought you were changing gears, you know, changing mm-hmm. careers. I was like, what, what, what is he doing? Is this, it's is this for real? But it's, mm-hmm. it's nice to know that you stepped up and um, you were able to move. I mean, the ex bat life with your family, but with having to hear your story, TJ, something that I really recognized in here is that you never ever bragged about your surname either um i've got questions from the community as well mm-hmm. about this like how did you separate yourself and you built your own identity i mean you're mm-hmm. the child of a beauty <clears throat> queen and a son of a notable political family i'm not sure if you're still getting this question but
3: mm-hmm.
2: how did you separate yourself from that i mean you never you know it wasn't in <clears throat> your narrative when you were sharing your story a while ago can mm-hmm. you tell me more
3: um, about that I guess uh,
0: even before I got into, into broadcasting, I was just always cognizant of the fact that, you know, um, it's a little different to be born yeah. into a, a family because of a famous couple back then. I mean, for those who may not mm. know, my mom is Aurora Tijuana. She was Miss International 1970. My dad is Tommy Manoto. He was a famous basketball coach in the PBA in the late 70s and the 80s. And eventually, when he split up with my mom, he married Ivy Marcos, right? So yeah, my parents are famous. Um, I can't deny that my dad's name and experience got my foot in the door of sports Mm -hmm. broadcasting, but I had to do the work to prove I deserve to be there. So, you know, it was a a window of opportunity, yes, but it wasn't just because he's my dad that I became a sportscaster for 20 years, right? So, but, you know, um, so yeah, going back to as early as high school, my dad would, you know, would, would remind me once in a while. Uh, you know, it is what it is. It's the fact of life. And sometimes, when your family is of such, there's a there's a a, a microscope. Let's put it that way. You know, it's more scrutinized, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. like the way we see, you know, celebrities nowadays. Of course, pers- I've I've always been anti-celebrity, and I think you've known this the longest time you've yes. known me. But I don't, I don't no. live it. I mean, the TV thing is a job. I don't. Yes. It's not my life, right? So. Yes. So, yeah, and, and and given that, I mean, I never, yeah, I just wanted to be DJ, you know, who I am and um, and be the, the natural person I am as an on-camp personality. Um, never needed to, you know, carry it because of who my parents were. Um, but it was interesting. It was fun, especially during the times when I was hosting beauty pageants. I, yeah, I hosted them on Motiana Pilipinas, Binibini Pilipinas. And that was partly because of my mom. You know, she was. Mm. They found it, you know, <laughs> cute that oh, the son of a uh, Miss International is a good host and he can host beauty pageants. So you know, I did that, and it was it was a good experience too. But yeah, but uh, but beyond that, um, I'm blessed that I was able to make my own path, and I guess if you call it that way, or, or make my own name in the industry, and and people acknowledge that with with the quality of my work, and they like what you know. I mean, I, w- I guess I wouldn't have survived 20 years in the industry if, if I wasn't doing a decent job, at least, right, for the audiences and for the bosses. So I'm still here and I'm, you know, every day I'm grateful that I have this opportunity to, to speak, to share what I learn, and, and to give, whether it's entertainment or inspiration, it is what it is.
2: Yeah, I love it when you said that you made it because you did the work. Right. It's always Mm -hmm. about you doing the work and has nothing to do with who you're affiliated with. I mean, of course, you know, they were saying like their network is your net worth and your net Mm -hmm. worth is the one that will take you to the next level, but that's not entirely true. Not all the the time.
3: Not all the time.
2: Not all the time. Right. Exactly. And it's Mm -hmm. even like I think it's synonymous as well to sports. Right. Like even Mm -hmm. if you are the maybe the son or the daughter of a prestigious, um, NBA player doesn't mean that you can. It's actually be harder, guys. It's, right. it's harder. Tell me about because it. because there's oh, yeah. more
0: pressure. Yes. there's more pressure because, like, in fact, when I was um, a player in Lasalle in the training team in Team B, you mm. know, I my dad was always telling me as well the fact that you're my son. It's gonna be harder because I wasn't a superstar. I was, let's put it, I was I was fighting for a spot as a role player, and he was mm-hmm. telling me the fact that you're my son. I'm sorry, there's even more pressure. You know, because there's going to be more scrutiny, and it's true. So, it's true. if you uh, probably if you ask any second generation kid in any industry, when they step into that same industry their parents were and known and good at, it's harder.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, because they know
0: there's too much more pressure and 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 um, you know, criticism and whatnot. I mean, thankfully nowadays, hopefully these this younger is more into. You know, mindfulness and and positivity and being in the moment. If they can zone out all the outside criticisms, and great. But but you know, it is what it is. There's really a lot of pressure when you're the the, the next generation.
2: Yeah, and going through that pressure, right? Let's dive into that mental health space now. Um, speaking of that, in 2018, you had that story um, out on YouTube, and it was very much. Um, accepted it, it trended and it finally you know it finally made an impact now when you shared your battle when you were well you when you overcame depression and anxiety um did you ever you know did you ever have that feeling like oh my gosh I'm going to do this I'm going to share it it's it's, it's a vulnerable space um mm. it's a brave move did you ever have that feeling that oh, am I doing the right thing I mean, the pressure of it all. I mean, mm-hmm. again, number one, you're the, you're the son of a beauty queen, the pressure of being the son of a, you know, your dad and being a journalist. I mean, it's just so many heavy mm-hmm. load on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. How did you get there? I mean, what made you say, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to do it.
0: Actually, it did well uh, a couple of things. One, I felt that <clears throat> as a, first of all, as a journalist, the backstory to that is as a journalist,
3: Yeah. Uh,
0: um. around, pff, 18, so about 2013, 2012, around that time, there was a very, uh, I keep saying serendipitous moment because there's a lot of things <laughs> in my life. There was a very <laughs> serendipitous moment that I it had is. to interview Jeannie Goldburn, who was the yeah. then founding at the, at the time, the Natasha Goldburn Foundation. Yes. And um, the, the show she was guesting on was the show called Rundown on ANC. And it was really Seth Drillon's show. I was just her you know, I would call myself the Chowari Wari Wap, which is <laughs> the you know, the segment host guy. You know, I was doing the sports segment and social media and tech news of that newscast. But the format mm. of the show then was news and an interview, okay? So there's always a, a chunky interview in the middle. And um, on the extreme chance that Sess would be absent last minute, I would have to fill in. And that mm-hmm. was that one night. She was stuck yeah. in traffic in EDSA and they, wow. the producer said, you know, it's, I think it was like already 7.45. And the show was live at 8. And the producer said, Cessna's going to make, Cessna isn't going to make it. TJ, you're going to anchor tonight. I'm like, okay, who's the guest? And they said, oh, it's Jeannie Goldberg. She's going to talk about, um, you know, suicide prevention and, and you know, aware, mental health awareness. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I got this. Nobody in ABS then at the time knew what I went through in my teenage years and in college. And I was like, don't worry, I got this. And add to the fact that I actually met Jeannie before because she's a friend of my mom's. So she comes along and we start, you know, the interview. A minute or two into it, it became a conversation, not just an interview. And I talked, I opened up about my experiences yeah. live on, yeah. T- on on TV and A and C, and, and and everybody was like, "What, what just happened? <laughs> what, what just happened?" You know, I mean, you never you back in 2013, you this is unheard of that a news anchor would just so be so candid and talk about his mental health experiences when it's supposed to be him interviewing the you know the subject. So. It is what it is. And and, and after that, Jeannie you know, got great responses. we got great response for that, for the authenticity, for the for being brave to come out about it. So that was the first time I came out with it. Not as grand as the way I did it 2018. So Jeannie invited me to give a talk after that um, in Las Aldas Marinas. I don't know, probably a few weeks after that or a month after. And then it's the first time I shared my story live to an audience and got really good feedback afterwards. People came up to me and thanked me for inspiring them and just, the mere fact that I talked about it and they felt you know, they could they could identify with somebody. And that, that, that really struck me. And so at, at that time, I told Tita Jeannie, I said, Tita, you know what? I think I'm going to write a book about this experience. And I said to her, I want to make this promise to you that when I write this book, I want to give the proceeds to the NGF, okay? And she's like, wonderful, thank you. And then procrastination hit. I put it in my <laughs> pocket and it was, it was still always there in my mind. And it just kept rolling along. In 2018, you know, a year before that, I turned 40. And that's when I decided I wanted to give a gift to the universe. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Throughout that time, I was the journalist in ABS-CBN who the newsroom knew that I, you know, had mental health struggles. And I could do stories about mental health uh, compassionately. But unfortunately, 90 plus percent of these stories were about suicide. Yeah. It's when people die. It's when people commit yeah. suicide and people give up. And so I, it came to the point that I got frustrated that is this the only time that we talk that about we talk mental about health, health it. when it's somebody giving up and at the end of the their rope, right? And I said, there's 90 plus percent of us who are okay, who go through this, these things and we're striving and thriving. Why isn't the spotlight shown on us as well? So I said, it's time to change the narrative. And if I have to do it as one of the few who do it, then I'll do it. So I said, time to tell my story. And I felt honestly it was really meant to be. And it all circled back to, to you know my struggles as a teenager. And you know, my mom had some very spiritual friends back then telling me that everything's happened happening for a reason. And I truly believe them. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize it that that reason would reveal itself to me in 25 years. No idea. <laughs> it took a while to <laughs> to incubate. And <laughs> I knew it was meant to be that I would I I would, you know. Whenever I would pray, us and I would thank God for all the mm-hmm. blessings for my career, sometimes I would wonder why my career lasted so long and I'm still around mm-hmm. even though I have so many peers who have come and gone, right? Mm-hmm. TV industry is, is not uh, the easiest thing to, to stay for a very long time. Yes. But yet yeah, I've been around. I've been able to readjust, to reinvent myself and this and that. And I'm always grateful and thankful I'm still here. And then I always wonder why. There must be something else. And I think this is one of those reasons that the people would know who I am. And then when I share something important like that, they're like, oh, it's that guy. It's the TV guy. It's a sports guy. It's the UAP guy, the guy in the NBA. He went through that. So I felt it was it was a calling for me that I had the platform to say something important that could be inspiring, that could break some, you know, taboo, and could break the, you know, the the bring bring the darkness into the light so to speak Mm. that's why I did it so I mean it's always a long answer but that's really the the timeline from the interview with Jeannie in around 2013 to turning 40 years old I wanted to give the universe something I wanted to change the narrative about mental health it's not should it shouldn't just be talked about when someone dies but we should talk about those who are thriving who are surviving and and let's share you know what we're doing to make each other better every day
2: you know, when I when I heard about your story, um, it was really mm-hmm. impactful because I haven't, I mean, I think it was by the time that you shared about your story that I became also open about it, that I was also having mild depression when I was younger. But I think it's because of, again, pressure. It could also be hormones. It could be mm-hmm. all sorts of other things. But one thing for sure that people don't know. Is actually that mental health is not just, you know, it's not just being over dramatic. It's not just about having to dig into problems just because you want to have a problem or you want to pick a fight or you want to like just stick in your room. But I want to ask you, what is mental health really? And if, if, I mean, how would you, what are the right questions that you're going to ask someone whom you think is going through mental health or who just, just opened up and said, I think I have a mental health problem? I mean, what mm-hmm. are the questions that won't be triggering that would make them mm-hmm. say, Who are you to say that? Who are you to question mm-hmm. me that? Yeah. I mean, what do you think?
0: Well, I mean, at the end of the day, you just start out with a, a sincere and genuine, How are you yeah. doing? You know, I'm, I'm here to listen to you. You want to, is there something you want to share with me? And then after that, just listen. Um the, the tricky part sometimes is when, you know, well-meaning friends and family try too much when they try to give, you know, when they try to be the therapist and they try to give advice and life advice and say, maybe, maybe you should leave that boyfriend or that girlfriend and maybe you should leave this job and leave that job or things like that. And um, that's when it gets a little complicated because, you know, obviously they don't have the professional capacity Practice, and training yeah. to, to analyze the situation. You know, neither do I, but, but at the very least, what I know and I've learned from these experts is that it's critical to listen uh, compassionately with empathy and make it clear that you are there to listen and that you're not going to judge them in any way, form or whatsoever because sometimes their fear of being judged is what
2: triggers what triggers yeah. a lot
0: of anxiety in the first place. You know, and that's why a lot of, you know, that's why some people end up not saying anything and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, they're another suicide case and people are like, we we never knew, you know, but maybe they couldn't speak out because they were so anxious because they were worried of getting judged right away. So, you know, and that, that's where eventually it led me to learning more about um, conscious parenting, uh, modern parenting and and, and this mm-hmm. and that because I think, you know, between me and my sister, we, we've had this, uh, I think our advocacies have evolved beyond just awareness Mm -hmm. of mental health issues, but we've, we've, we've veered into finding out um, what, you know, what can prevent this? What are the causes of it? There's so many triggers out there. You know, it's not something that can be solved easily, but the fact that we make it something that we are conscious of and we, we research about it, we think about it, talk about it, the more the solutions will come out, you know? So, mm. so yeah, that, so, so first, you know, going back to your question, how to speak to someone who we think is going to something, just, just be open and be there for them to listen first. And, you know, no when, once you feel that it's heavy and whatever, um, then, you know, encourage them to seek help. You know, if, if it's something that they clearly cannot handle on their own, Encourage them seek some kind of any accounts. It doesn't have to be a psychiatrist right away. A lot of people, sometimes that's the the problem. Also, they're freaked out because oh, I don't want to see a psychiatrist because they're just going to give me medication or whatever. I mean, not not to knock off on the psychiatrist whatsoever, but that's unfortunately that's the stigma that people mm. have about psychiatrists who have never been to one. Okay, let's put it that way. So, but but first, I think the most important thing is find someone they can be open with that they can speak to, uh, who's trained to listen and see those, you know, uh, you know, critical points that may need more professional help, whether it's a guidance counselor, even a pastor or a priest or whatnot, then those they they can always help as well.
2: DJ, it has i think um I just want to share this I have a couple of friends who also committed suicide or um, who would have thought that they have you know uh, mental health problems um being on the spotlight maybe pressured them too much a lot I mean there are some musicians that I know of who also committed suicide um and it's just it's just you know I mean you're right about talking to someone without the need to actually do you need to answer back actually sometimes mm-hmm. all you got to do is just to listen
3: mm-hmm.
2: and just listen that's it and then just yeah. mirror back what they're saying and say that i hear you i see you i feel yes. you i okay yeah. i'm here for you you don't have to give them advices because sometimes advices are the ones that are really going to trigger them all the more mm-hmm. <laughs> so but the problem here is that I got, I mean, a friend of mine just recently also has been looking for um, a psychiatrist or to help her with her mental health. Would you imagine it was, I think, around February? And she was said that there's no doctor available and the next appointment is in June. I think there is a lack of psychiatrist or there's mm-hmm. a lack nice. of these people. So, you know, I mean, with you, there was no internet yet. I mean, God, I mean, God bless, Tita. I mean, your mom for being so resourceful, burned the lines Super, and all those yep. things. Ooh, right? But who are the people that can, I mean, they can speak with? Because there's another thing that, you know, that I noticed too, that there are also psychiatrists, I mean, not to disrespect them, who just give you pills. I mean, unlike in the U.S. Yeah. I noticed this when I was also in the U.S. When you get to talk to a psychiatrist or a professional, they really have this one-on-one conversation. You on the mm-hmm. couch, you know, and no pills included. But here mm-hmm. it's like, okay, 15 minutes talk. Okay. Here's a pill. Go. I'll see you. Yeah. No, I'll see you again. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. What are the problems that you've seen I mean you've experienced it right mm-hmm. what are the other problems that you think that we have yet to solve and what and are there already some changes that happened mm-hmm. I mean well first of all there's really a,
0: a lack you know I, I don't uh, know the number but I know there's a there's a
3: there's target, a growth
0: proportionate yeah. there's a target proportion of x amount of the population there should be x amount of uh, mental health professionals, okay, who can mm. handle these cases, whether it's a range of at least guidance counselors, trauma counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, which by the way, you know, people a lot of people forget to talk about the psychologists.
1: Because okay. in fact, in my case, it yeah. was
0: a psychologist who was the one who helped me the most and during my okay. time. Rather, okay. Although I did see a psychiatrist a couple of times as well. Um, it's the, psych, the difference for those who are not aware. The difference is the psychologist does not prescribe any medication but if the psychologist feels that i cannot handle this particular patient then he ele- he or she elevates it to a psychiatrist if it's something that you know that they really need medication to to pull them back in and so that they could be conversing you know mm-hmm. properly and whatnot so yeah so that's one the the proportion is is i know in the philippines is nothing near where it should be that's one um secondly uh you know i i When I read recently, I read the book of uh, Johan Hari. So Mm -hmm. he is this British journalist who wrote the book, The Lost Connections. And it's an incredible book, um, discovering what he claims are the nine causes of depression and anxiety and how we can solve them. And Mm -hmm. basically, the whole book is an exhaustive uh, investigative report where he dug up such a huge amount of amazing research that. Apparently, he had been under the radar under the noses of a lot of experts mm. um, that talk about the different causes of what had triggered a lot of people's mental health illnesses, right? And it, what brought him to that journey is because he has been diagnosed with depression for many, many years. And his biggest frustration that his doctors in the UK were what, like what you said, they never spoke to him. They're like, here's, a, no. here's the drug. And then, and then he'll feel good for a while. Then, then he'll go back, and then he'll say, "Here's a stronger drug," and then a stronger, and stronger. And he was drug dependent for almost a decade. And he's like, "Is this just the cycle that I have to go through? That everybody goes?" through? And he, then that's what he did the research. So I don't want to spoil it. It's a great book. Read it mm-hmm. or listen. I listened to the audio book. It's an amazing audio book because he's, he's got a cool okay. British, you know, <laughs> accent. <so it's laughs> um,
3: that's but that's I
0: cannot I I lost count how many times my jaw dropped with some nuggets of information and research that he dug up, whether it's regarding the pharmaceutical industry, whether it's regarding, mm-hmm. you know, some natural, you know, um, methodologies that, that people could alleviate themselves or the mental health challenges. Um, but it's amazing how he just, you know, zeroed in on how depression and anxiety is the symptom. It's not the sickness. Yeah. There's something else that's that's there's Happening some in, wire so connection there, yeah. that's not right, and it's not always that the the chemical imbalances. Yes, there are a significant proportion of the population that have mental health issues because of chemical imbalances, but the vast majority are not. The vast huh? majority apparently are societal problems, whether it's a lack of environment. Incident, yes. But okay, not just thanks. physical environment, not just environment the earth, huh? the
2: that's with, yeah, The, the people, people you're with, yeah. The people you're with, the work you what do, you watch. Yeah.
0: Exactly um, mm-hmm. your um your physical. Five So it's a lot of it's in there. So when when you read through it and you realize, wow, okay, and you'll you'll understand how you know it, it it truly and it brings it back. It validated what I was talking about in my video, finding balance, because yeah. when you have that balance in your life, whether it's with your physical health your mental health your friends your family your work whatever then you'll feel it and that's why I think you know I've been that's one of the reasons why I think I've been free of any major attacks in the last 20-25 years because I've been able to find that balance and I've been able to do away with my triggers and to do away with the stresses of life really you know and you know I've learned to accept so I we can dig in this more later but acceptance is yeah. such a huge huge word that means so much more to me than it and on the surface. So yeah that I mean if you if you find out truly really that there's more to depression and anxiety than it is just chemical imbalances, you know a lot of people will will you know be better but also it roots back again like what I said earlier when we understand that that's the given how can we prevent this then then yes, we need improvements in we need improvements in education. We need improvements in parenting. We need improvements of, of work culture. We need improvements of our physical environments as well. So there's so many things that when you realize that these are the things that you can help improve, after you do all of these, so like you realize how much better you'll actually feel. Okay, this is
2: so good. This is gold, DJ, because you know I, something that I I also personally um, whenever you prescribe, but personally say to almost everyone choose the people that you're with, choose the things that you actually listen to, Mm -hmm. choose who are the people that you actually surround yourself or talk to or you went over and all these things and choose the job that you're actually in also. Mm -hmm. Because I think mental health, you're right. Um, Mental health is not just about your hormonal imbalances. I mean, of course Mm -hmm. it play a huge role. It could play a huge role, right? Especially for women who have Mm polycystic ovaries. Um, I've learned it along the way. But I think it's really more of like, having the choice to also surround yourself or to take yourself out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Except that some people choose not to be out of that situation or don't know yeah. how to. So yeah. the prevention is really something that matters. But I think prevention also equates to mindfulness. I mean, I don't know if that's yes. the same equation. That's that a you big understand. part of
0: it. That's a huge, huge part of it for sure. Yeah.
2: Right. I mean, So, yeah, go ahead.
0: No, no, you saying go ahead.
2: Right. Yeah. So with mindfulness, like, let's get into this mindfulness. Um, but I'll, I'll ask you first, do you still get, I mean, you just said you don't have attacks, major attacks, mm-hmm. but do you still have this, I mean, you're a human being, do you still have episodes of being bothered by low feeling, stress, sadness, or has there ever been like, especially now you're in the world with giants also, like ever questioned yourself like, okay, can I really do this? When is going to happen? And I mean, do you mm-hmm. still get, those conversations and how do you actually screen them or filter them out I mean mm-hmm. what do you do
0: no I, I don't and and you know what wow. it, this all started when I was in college I mean it was shortly after my worst episode I mean if you see it in the video my, mm. my worst and last one was that I was hospitalized I was put in the psych ward and all that and I I had a paradigm shift and I really had some wow very big uh decisions to make in terms of changing my mindset one of which was accepting um, my situation. And and it yes. actually is funny because it roots back to the very first anxiety attack and week of insomnia that I had and the very first mentor that I had. His name is Max Ricketts. Um, the last name may sound familiar to the ones who are baguettes like us. He's the dad <laughs> of Ronnie Ricketts. Okay? Ricketts, the so yes. star. Yeah, But Tito Max Ricketts was at the time, um, he was a survivor of, of uh, manic depression and he was giving free counseling um, to people who had depression, anxiety, even those with cancer and AIDS because they also go through through, through depressive moments. And he was giving um, counseling twice a week for free in Santuario, San Antonio, Makati. And my mom was referred to him and he was the first people that I was brought to. And when I first saw him, I was like, oh my God, you're alive and you went through worse than me. (laughs) So actually looping that to my video, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do that because I wanted to be what Max was to me
1: to people on the internet,
0: they can see somebody going through it. Because there was no icons on mental health survivors. We had icons of breast cancer survivors, for, for AIDS, there's Magic Johnson, all these and for diabetes, there's Gary Valenciano, there's so many other people who have championed their illnesses, but we never see anybody who championed mental illness, right? So that was one thing that Max was to me. So but the first thing, the biggest thing that Max taught me was acceptance. And he taught me the, the power and the science of affirmations. And he said, eho you have to first accept yourself. And he told me to literally write this down on a piece of paper, say it to the mirror in your mind and say to the mirror out loud 10 times, I accept myself. And he said, do that three times a day, make this your mental vitamin. And at the time it's like, okay, I'm just going to listen to you. I'm desperate for anything that can help me. And it took a while. And I guess what happened was it, it, it eventually embedded in my subconscious. And when I realize what the problem usually for most of you know a lot of us who go through this at the first instance is it's difficult to accept because we're trying to find blame it's like you were thrown into a pool and you don't yeah. know how to swim and you're saying mm. it's your fault it's my dad and my mom's fault because they had stay split up it's the fault of this school because the academic demands are so hard it's the fault this so you have all this blame pointing outwards and you and you fail to realize Most, if not all of those things you point to are factors you have little or zero control over. So therefore, you have to accept that they are how they are. And how do I deal with it from now on? So that was such a powerful thing that I had to accept that I was different. You know, I had a bit of a chemical imbalance. I had my societal triggers. And there are things that I couldn't change. But I knew I had to find a way to learn to be well and to deal with it. And it's like the analogy I always give when I talk about this in my talks about acceptance, it's like driving a car with a flat tire. You can't keep driving the car with a flat tire and deny that it's flat and expect to run in an optimal way. It's going to take an effort to come out of the car, look at it, say, it's flat. It's going to be hard to fix it, but I'll do it. Then you Mm -hmm. change it. And when you're running with a spare tire, it's probably never going to be the same again, but at least your car is running. (laughs) <laughs> so that's, a, that's an analogy I gave about acceptance and dealing with what has been given to you that you have little or no control over. So in college, Beautiful. I realized that I'm like, okay, I got to go of the stress. It started with school. I said to myself, I'm not going to let pieces of paper with a grade to define my life. So I decided to just learn and not try to get a grade. That's, that's how my mind shift changed with education. And so I, you know, I relaxed. I mean, and it didn't mean I got lazy, but I relaxed in terms of I wanted to learn and participate. And yeah, I took my time. Like in LaSalle, I would sometimes <laughs> take nine units. In yeah. my last mm. in my last four terms, I had nine units because I wanted to take my time. And I didn't want to pressure myself. I had classmates who, who had 24 units every semester because they wanted to graduate in three years. I'm like, okay, why in the rush to get out of there? I'm like, you know, again, difference of opinion in terms of, the pace of education let's put it that way so that's how it began Ka. so i i learned right then and there how to to understand what i can control and what i have little or no control over and those that i have little and no control over i refuse to let anything about it stress me i'll still try to do things to talk to people and whatever but i know i can't change them and force them whatever but There's a, there's a boundary that I put that I can't stress over it. You know, do what I can, but I I shouldn't stress over it because it's not good for my health. It's not good for my mental health. And I think honestly, that's what has been, that's what alleviated me of all of my triggers Hmm. the last 20, 25 years.
2: Are you ready to turn your network into paid high-ticket clients with a plan? Well, I'm interrupting my own episode to invite you to my free high-ticket VIP training over my website www.CathyPajarillo.com. This training has helped coaches, consultants, private practitioners, and content creators build a better profitable business without exhaust stepping into their role as CEO. This training is perfect to those who'd want to embrace digital transformation for their coaching or consulting practice and wants to have that roadmap towards achieving six-figure outcomes for your seven-figure business. By the end of the training, you are guaranteed to learn the power profile framework and the entrepreneurial roadmap and strategies that you can implement right away as you enable your dreams right here, right now. The VIP training is absolutely for free and it will break down the framework on how you can turn your network into paid high-ticket clients with a plan. Claim your spot and register today at www.cassiepajarillo.com. Link is in the description box below. I'm so excited to meet you real soon. Now, let's get back into today's episode. Teach, how are you applying this with your family?
0: Uh, Well, same thing. I mean, even if... You know, they are they are the individuals that they are. Yeah. My mother, my dad, my sister, my wife, my kids. And if they are going through something, whatever it may be, stress with work, stress with the relationship, whatever it be, I'll be there as much as I can to give them the best advice, to be shoulder to cry on, someone to listen to them. But at the end of the day, you know, as like and a lot of parents need to hear this, you can't change your child. Yeah. You, know, you were given a, a human being as a human being yeah you have some dna in there yeah your blood is in there but they are not you in yeah case, i remember
2: yeah. you know i remember too mm-hmm. that when you said about you changed the education of mika it's mika well, right? from the yeah, very first? beginning we
0: knew i yeah. we knew that we wanted them to go through a, to a progressive school so they've, exactly. they've been montessori you know educated from the very beginning so yeah.
2: Yeah. But but, but but to... I remember I remember that you listened really well on what her needs are that I I I remember you shared something about mm-hmm. um She was getting headaches at nine in the morning or something Mm -hmm. like that. And then what you did was you and Rio, what you did was maybe this is not the right kind of setting for her Mm -hmm. Um, and you listened well with that. I mean, okay, let's very briefly before we get into the questions from the audience um, in terms of family, because you're a family man, how are you affecting it, affecting also your children in terms of their mental health? Um, how could parents listen to their children and how could children understand their parents too? I mean, what is the dynamics that you impose? Well, I not really imposed, mm-hmm. but I think the, the values that you, what do you call that? Um, practice within mm-hmm. the family.
0: Well, I think the, the, one of the key things there is investing in the relationship as early as possible. Okay. And when it comes to mental health, um making it normal to talk about feelings you know and, and to understand how they feel I mean when I give when I was you know when I was still in the Philippines and I give talks to schools especially in high schools it was always my challenge to educators and parents to, mm. to realize that um, a lot of our parents especially in the younger years they're so concerned about kids getting physically hurt yeah di so yeah. wag kang tatakbo diyan madadapakan na, naku ka magkakapeklat ka timo <laughs> and it's physical, yeah, it's fine. It's physical yeah. pain, it's physical hurt, and they're so paranoid about that. They're so like, but mm-hmm. nah, mag- ka. little things like that. And I said, Imagine if these parents had the same energy and focus on watching out for things that could hurt their child emotionally
3: mm. early on. Mm.
0: Imagine if they invested the same. Passion in guarding their child's physical health
3: mm-hmm.
0: with investing in their mental health and emotional health. So it's it's and you know nowadays what I'm learning more and more when we do the research on this, it's, it's as simple as having really authentic conversations about feelings and how they feel, how you feel. It's practicing gratitude with them as well to, to start planting those seeds of gratefulness and, and that brings about happiness and positivity and productivity. Mm-hmm. So that's the key is that there's many, many ways and many things you can do to, to, to proactively invest in your relationship with your kids. And I think that's one thing that parenting needs to realize now that it's not just reactionary. A lot of parents nowadays are a little bit reactionary. You know, they'll, they'll do something when something's wrong,
1: mm-hmm. when something
0: needs to be changed. Oh, you're failing. here as a tutor, you know, Oh, you know, this and that will do this. So it, it, there, there's there's a there's a way to do it that you want to be proactive, and, mm. and and you know plant the positive seeds that could make your kids, you know, more resilient, yeah. you know, better learners, and and more emotionally aware and things like that. That that in the end, will just nurture a better relationship with them. You know, so yeah, I mean that, that's a that's large I mean. can of worms, really, to to, yeah. to try to dissect parenting in the many ways that. You know, It can improve nowadays, but I think the first step would usually be is for them to understand and accept that they're not perfect. Yeah. Sometimes some parents have this aura of, I am your mom, I am your dad, I know what's best for you, just listen shut to up me. and listen. Exactly. <laughs> but no, it's not the case.
3: Yeah. It's not the case, right? Yeah. So
0: your child is your child, they are a unique human being, they are a blessing from God, from the universe, and you listen to them too. You you try to understand who they are, what their passions are. Just because you and your dad and your Lolo were all lawyers, that doesn't mean they have to be a lawyer, right? I mean, I know I, I have so many people I know who were forced to become lawyers because their dad said so because it everybody in the family is lawyer, and now they're they're miserable. Is that what they want? Yeah. So you know, those are the things that the Filipino culture of you know parents nowadays really have to ask their, themselves these hard questions.
2: So okay, so let's circle back to that before we end this session, um, or this episode session. This episode <laughs> <laughs> session. <laughs> before we end this episode, TJ, what are I think okay number one, what is the typical life of TJ monotok when it comes to fixing, I mean, not not fixing, but in terms of managing your mental health, or that led you to having a. better mental health space what is a typical day for you and number two is maybe some actionable steps that anyone can do when it comes to taking good care of themselves yeah yeah
0: all right well first of all yeah so uh a bit of a story from last year in the pandemic and and something that reinforced my my belief and gratefulness for these Mm. tools that i have now to make myself mentally healthier Mm. April last year, uh, in the midst of the pandemic, when it was raging, um, mm-hmm. I decided to become healthier again because I was getting a bit of a dad bod. And um, I'm like, okay, this is not a good thing. It's going to get worse. Just, we're stuck at home. Yeah. So I went back to my nutrition plan with my good friend, Harvey DeBaron of the, the Baron Method. If you've never heard mm-hmm. of him, please look him up, Baron Method. Um, he's, he's amazing. He'll help you solve all of your problems you know, health mm. issues with your, whether it's weight or even anything like that. So yeah. along with that, Jay Shetty, um, who you and I know, well, um, Shetty.
3: Yeah.
0: So <laughs> yes. think like a monk, um, one of the most amazing inspirational leaders of our time. He was giving free meditation daily on his Facebook page. And he had a 21-day meditation challenge. challenge. And my kid was homeschooled at the time, virtual school. So I didn't have to drive in the morning. And it was 9 a.m. Pacific time. So I'm like, perfect. I can do this. So I did it. And I think I did the, the next 100 days. I think I did 40-plus straight days. And that was the first time I really meditated that seriously, that long. And I really enjoyed. And I realized that, for me, at least guided meditation was something that really resonated with me. I mean, to each his own, whatever format and kind they like, right? That they feel works for them. So that helped me so much. And then eventually, I got into journaling mm. uh, a gratitude journal every day and i even discovered um wim hof because um i chanced upon him in uh russell brand's podcast and the guy this guy named the ice man wim hof talks about cold showers deep breathing exercises please look him up he's amazing so i was doing that and then all of a sudden i have morning routine of meditation breathing cold showers gratitude and um what i didn't realize that it was preparing me for probably the most challenging time of my life oh, since wow. college was when ABS-CBN was shut down. And when it was happening and the congressional hearings were happening, you know, I felt the emotion and, and the pain and we were in tears. But what I realized in hindsight, looking back, like if there was anything in my life that should have been, and could have been another trigger mm. for an episode. Mm-hmm. It was that. Oh God. And yet I was okay. I felt what I felt, but I was grounded. I was controlled. And I realized
3: I, I wow. prepared.
0: It's just like I, I prepared for a boxing match of yeah. eight weeks of training. I trained my body and mind with the meditation and the gratitude and the and the practice that I did that I realized how utterly powerful this is. And it's one of the best gifts of God
3: Absolutely. <laughs> to just
0: be quiet and to breathe. Mm. And so in terms of the tools that I can share about taking care and investing in your mental health it's that and it's free you know i mean there are a lot of free things on youtube nowadays if you don't want to invest yet and, and you know there are these apps that calm and headspace they're amazing try it out that's a good start if you don't feel you're ready to speak to a therapist or whatnot that's fine but do something proactively that you know that can help you mm-hmm. and for me if they, they, they come out invaluable and it's funny because when I was in the MIT Sloan conference with Shane Battier, he was asked the first that question first about what do you do now in your team? He said the same exact thing. He said, I meditate, I do the Wim Hof, and I have a gratitude journal. I'm like, yes. I'm just gonna end up copying your answer, Shane, because I do the same things now. And it's amazing. And it's amazing how I'm seeing a lot of people who have realized the power of taking care of their mental health are doing those things. So, and again, as I said, it's proactive. I mean, of course, it, it, it's critical to do it when you're going through a dark episode, but all the more when you're well. Yes. Build on that, build yes. on the mental strength, the mental toughness.
2: I totally agree. Um, And I'm having to hear that from you. I was like, huh, I'm doing the same thing. I'm going to be all now. This is so cool, right? Yeah, but that's true. Three things that you can do for yourself. Just give Mm -hmm. yourself maybe five to 10, 15 minutes. It's not much of your time. It's just a matter of that, right? And it's true too that with mental strength, that mindset, it just doesn't help you in terms of your career. It also helps you with your health. It also helps you with your family, the way you talk to Mm -hmm. people. It's just all encompassing
0: of your life
2: super mm-hmm. crazy and thank you so much for sharing those but what without what, what about with your family how what 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 are your rituals or practices that you do with your family three things maybe that you can share
0: well we just really find ways to spend common time together I mean it's, it's one thing to to give them their space let them do their thing with their mm-hmm. friends or whatnot but but just just having You know, activities together, whether it's biking, doing exercise, cooking, eating out, or dying out, take out, (laughs) eating in the house, whatever, that stuff. And, you know, it's just, and it's not, and I hear this a lot with a lot of these um, personal development experts nowadays. It's not about work-life balance, because there's never going to be a balance. Because you spend eight to ten hours of work a day. You can't spend eight to ten hours a day with your family and kids right so but it's the quality of time that you spend so when you're with your family be present put this thing down as much as you can you know put it away as much as you can and even when you wake up in the morning by the way that that's my favorites are my saturday mornings because i don't look at my phone for the first like an hour or two i'll do my thing and then i'll just enjoy making my coffee and listen to music and my phone is not bothering me so try not to be beholden and hostage with your phone, especially when you're with family and friends. Um, and that's a signal to them that you're there, you're present. Rooting this back to sports, you said there are a lot of people here watching this sports. Yeah. I'm sure there was those, maybe you even watched The Last Dance, the documentary on Michael Jordan and the Bulls uh, that came out last year, 10 hour documentary, amazing. But I had a favorite part. When his biographer spoke about Michael and said, you know the best gift of Michael Jordan is not his physical attributes, not his superhuman skills. His best attribute and his best skill is he is always present in everything and anything he does, whether it's in a meeting, whether it's in a practice session, whether it's reading a book, whether it's in the basketball court in the middle of an NBA finals, his mindset is he's always present. And if we can just do that with every aspect of life, whether it's in your career, your your relationship, your family, yourself, when you're doing self-care, self-love, you will become a much more incredible human being than you thought you could be. So I love the word present. It's the present that was given to us and stay in the present. Let go of the regrets of the past. Let go of the fears of tomorrow. This is the most important time. It's now, it's for you. And as I said before, you will be all right. Yeah.
2: TJ, what is next for you? What is next for TJ Monotok?
0: So, yeah, I mean, I'm jealous. I'm going to do a podcast soon. So. <laughs>
2: yeah, I better be part of that. Breaking
0: news, breaking news. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been hinting about it, but but um, I'm, I'm making sure I'm going to do it right. I tried I tried it last I'll year. I lost momentum. Yeah. I will have that conversation with you guys. So, so, yeah, so that's next. And I realize that, again, I am here with, with a unique uh, opportunity and responsibility, I think. Yeah. That I'm learning from these people and I can do interviews well, like what you're doing, and sharing it to an audience as well to, to inspire them to be better human beings in any aspect of, in their life. So so to the to the sports fans out there, sorry to disappoint. It's not gonna be another sports podcast. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: My my sports friends have it well covered. There's a bunch of them who are amazing at that. Okay, so I'll leave them at that. Um, but I'll 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 take on the more mature roles and I'll do the I mean, yeah. <laughs> the daddy rose yeah I'll do, I'll do the personal development so yeah, yeah.
2: i right. think that's
0: something that's my that's my next evolution
2: oh my gosh i am so excited for <clears those throat> you i mean those of you who are listening pj is a great great dad you guys i mean i'm excited for him to actually release whatever it is that he's planning to have but i really look forward to that and I'll make I'll, I'll make sure that i'll be I'll be one of the first who will subscribe to that if not the second. Thank
0: you. Yeah. So, I will mean, check, right? you better be one of the first. If you're oh, not Oh
2: yeah. If you're not so in the top really 50,
0: first. I will make tampo. <laughs> the
2: first, right? I mean you're going to be first of course. <laughs> All right. So I asked the community mm. for some questions for you and mm-hmm. I actually specifically said, "Do you have any mental health questions for TJ? Okay. But, but it's about sports. Yes, They <laughs> ask about sports. So we'll Try. I will Go, let's do this right i'm just gonna ask so there are one two three four four questions okay number okay. one okay from ar cool he said what's the difference in the culture of the u.s sports coverage and here in the philippines
0: hmm. that's an interesting question uh-huh. what's the difference in culture
2: culture yeah hmm. Sports coverage in here
0: yeah. <laughs> i would say yeah that what what i find interesting is that the, when I when I've been covering the NBA finals and the NBA All Stars for ten years almost, uh, it's fascinating to to see the camaraderie. Mm. Um, not to say that the Filipinos are not friendly and whatnot, but I think there's a, a little bit more of of um, rivalry and protection of space. Okay. You know, in the Philippines, that's um, not that's not judging it good or bad. It is what it is. You know, if they're ambitious people who are. Striving for their goals, but but here that's some that's one thing I was able to observe that um, there's that love and respect and camaraderie for one another, whether for them from a different network, different newspaper, whatsoever, and it was it was refreshing to see. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, that's one that's one interesting thing. Uh, I guess I might lose well, your
2: job, so be careful. No, just kidding.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, but
0: that's, it's 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 cool. Um, no, no, but kidding, another that's thing, funny. I guess, is there one thing that the Filipino sports culture can learn from and yeah. mature into is yeah. that they're a little bit more prepared. Um, they do their research. You know, they they take their profession very professionally, very seriously. Um, you know, a lot of them, sometimes I'm so casual in the, the press conference and these guys are on suits and ties. You know, even though they're not necessarily on-camp talents, I'm like, okay, um, jayana, okay. I'm not so dressed up. But, you know, things like that. So, I mean, and you know, but I mean, they paved the way, you know, sports broadcasting, you know, from my perspective, was, you know, the US sports scene is one of the icons in that, right? Aside from the European. So, so yeah, I mean, it's a it, it, cool question. Thank you. AR cool.
2: Yeah. And then he has, he asked, and followed, what are the challenges brought about by covering sports in the time of COVID 19? Oh, yeah.
0: Hi, hey, Sure. I mean, it's all Zoom, Zoom. So you don't get to see the events, you don't get to, to attend the game. So it's very different. I mean, it's different to be there with the energy of the crowd and see it. And it's so it, it it's, there's so much to adjust to, um, but you know, I'm grateful that the sports uh, media community was still able to pull it off so far, mm. you know, given the challenges that have been abound by the pandemic as, as do all industries, everybody had to adjust. Right. Um, but um I'm glad sport is back, you know, I'm, at least here. I mean, I'm, I know in the Philippines, it's a different situation. But when you see live sports, it gives you that sense of, um, what do you call this? Reality? <laughs> that the world is kind of back. back I'll never forget the day that I watched the first um, NBA game that was done in the or in Florida bubble last season, and they resumed it. I was like, wow, that was nice to watch a live sporting event. As opposed to watching... You know, a TV show on Netflix or whatnot. It's different when you see something live and it's like yeah. you know, yeah. life is life is back. Life is alive. So But so, the yeah, audience though, cool.
2: there's not much audience, right? It's just the game and now then-
0: now they're starting to come back. I mean, some a lot of the stadiums are allowing, but 20, 30% audience capacity. So huh. it's getting there. It's getting there. Welcome
2: the back, world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, Right. Okay, next. Miko Gloria, he asked, uh, what are the differences and similarities between your interaction with Filipinos and those in Northern Latin America when it comes to professionalism? I, but I think you've tackled this already, but just in mm-hmm. case you have something to add on, what do you think is the demeanor and professionalism? What's the difference? Mm-hmm.
0: Again, again, again. So uh, question again. He uh, asked,
2: what are the differences and similarities between your interaction between the Filipinos Pinos and the westerners when it comes to demeanor and professionalism hmm
0: demeanor,
2: demeanor. yeah
0: anyway <laughs> in any industry
2: any industry wow that's a tough question um are we in your industry i guess
0: it's something that i never personally chose to observe or judge yeah you know i mean when i encounter people whether they're a film organization that I'm going to interview or whatnot. I, I take them for their substance, mm-hmm. for what they have to say rather than their demeanor. I mean, you know, you encounter varying degrees of professionalism, um, but uh, for most the most part, that, yeah, you know, people who are more often than not, people who are newsworthy are professional, <laughs> you know, yeah. they're, they're quite professional in what they have to say and what they do. Um, but yeah, I mean, At the end of the day, I mean, just to root back to this question, that's one thing that uh, sometimes can be a detriment to our growth is when we compare too much. It's one thing to be inspired and to see things we can learn from. It's another thing to be doing comparisons to be critical. Mm. Let's put it that way. So,
2: What have you picked up on? What have you picked up on? Like, okay, this is something new. I'm going to do this. It's going to make me a better person or a better professional.
0: Uh hard to pinpoint that right now, but um,
2: top of your head, yeah, top of your mind.
0: What have I picked up on?
2: I guess you know, and then
0: always always improve in little things, like listening better. Okay you know Great. and it's something that you that's something I I've noticed sometimes even as a younger reporter and some reporters, some even presenters and, and anchors, they're too prepared with their questions that so they don't listen. They have a list of questions that doesn't become a conversation anymore. They just like,
2: scripted my yeah. first
0: question is my second or my third. They rattle it off right without even you know, understanding what the person has to say, without eye contact, the whatever. Um, and you know, I, I've been learning more and more and improving on that, I guess, and thanks to, to technological tools as well, like what we have. Now yeah. transcription tools, like, saying yes. author. You know, we don't indeed say reporter with the reporter's notebook transcribing short notes. It's really difficult. But modern day reporting is so much easier because you have so these, so many tools to get those notes and transcriptions. It's still great to take notes of a notable moment, yeah. But but you don't have to literally scribble
3: Everything. you know
0: yeah. an interview that's happening in real time because you don't you lose the flow of mm. the conversation. So that that in terms of at least in my
3: profession.
2: Okay. Um, oh my gosh, there's such great questions here. John, John Guironella, with the Asian hate and diversity as an Asian living in the U.S., how are you coping with the recent attacks against Easterners? Were you ever attacked? What did you do about it? Are you doing anything about it being in the position as a chief? How are you protecting your children? Mm. Yes, chief. What do you do, chief? Okay,
0: that's a, that's a lot to unpack there. One is, mm. of course, it's very disheartening to see yeah. Um, I agree. It's rare that they give an opinion. This is, I agree with what some of the critics have said that it was the the rhetoric of some you know some of the people in the previous administration that there was so much blame on China and Chinese and the Wuhan virus and the kung Fu and whatnot that you know it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that that's what spurred a lot of the hate towards the Asian community and when you see the 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 statistics and the spike and the the cases of that starting from then, you know, it kind of correlates to that. So that's re- it was really unfortunate that, yeah. you know, it was their option to do a blame game rather than to try to figure things out to, to solve the pandemic. Mm-hmm. That's one. Um, secondly, how do, you know, it is what it is. We have to be more cautious when we're out and about, you know, try to avoid places that you know that are not known to be the safest, you know, let's put it that way. Um, and uh just be aware and be more prepared try not to be alone because most if not all of those victims were walking alone
2: yeah but so- can you can you really live in there like just i mean how can you not be alone i mean how can you live if you're living in fear i mean is is that what it is right now there? I mean,
0: with Asian? yeah, I mean, you know, I know. I mean, I interviewed one of the guys who was attacked in San Francisco. Poor oh. guy, he he left. He moved out of the state. I mean, he's lived in California in San Francisco for like twenty years. He just moved to Sorry. Indiana. Mm-hmm. Okay, so some of them have that such fear now that they're so scared for them and their family that they left. Um, to that and then, but also, I don't know the statistic on this. I don't know if anybody studied this, mm-hmm. but a lot of the attackers also have been some in the homeless community Uh, um, and those who are mentally challenged or have criminal records. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm not judging the whole population that are non-Asians. You know, of course, the vast majority of them respect and love Asians, right? But unfortunately, there are some bad eggs. Let's put it that way. Unfortunately, there are bad eggs who have taken extreme measures of showing their... Mm. disgust towards mm. another race and it's unfortunate that way that they, it's a lack of education a lack of empathy they're doing a lot of things now in terms of you know tightening you know policing and this and that and trying to figure out how to really attack hate crimes but what the community is searching and yearning for is to solve the root of the problems yeah. and the root of the the perception of another race or the inequalities and all that so that'll take time you know that'll take time and, and i guess things happen for a reason that Now the the spotlight is on, you know, the color of our skin right now and to find out what needs to be done, what needs to be understood in in society and culture in terms of giving everybody an equal footing, equal chance, equal respect. Mm -hmm. so So it's a challenging, it's a fascinating time to be a journalist documenting these, giving everybody a voice now um are you so, documenting
2: yeah, I, it well? like right now is i mean been- not,
0: not in terms of a documentary but i mean we yeah, do are you in fact we we just counted it the other day we since aladi started we've done like more than 40 okay. stories on anything related to asian american hate uh Thank incidents yeah. since the last i think two three months so that's a lot
3: that's
2: you know? a lot yeah So that's, that's a
0: lot so it's unfortunate that it's been that many but
2: okay yeah,
0: you know, that's where we're at
2: all right. Um, from Alex Estouesta, how does it feel and what is it like to be working as a journalist in a foreign country where oh, well, I think you've answered this already, but I'm just going to say it anyway, um, just for you, Alex. How does it feel and what is it like to be working as a journalist in a foreign country where practices are different and the culture are different? What are your observations of the media industry landscape and how was the transition process for you and your family?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. First, the, the journalist part. Um it can be a little intimidating. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, I guess in, for any industry, for any, any professional comes in new to a country, I know the feeling now of an OFW. I mean, for coming into a different land, that majority of the people are not the same mm. race and color and culture, it can get intimidating that, that you you may look at yourself lesser because you didn't you know grow up with them in the industry or in, in their society. Um, in terms of with uh, the second of question? Adjusting exactly. in the family? Yeah,
2: yeah, adjusting also the transition process for you because of course it's a new job. Oh, well, I mean,
0: thankfully, the Bay Area where I'm at is not something is, is a place that's not alien to us. I mean, for me not in for particular, prior to being assigned here, I was here for us uh, like once a year for the last four or five years thanks to the Golden State Warriors. Because they were in the finals all those years, so I was I kept coming back here. So the Bay Area was something that I was very comfortable with, and of course, there's a lot of Filipinos here. It's not like you put me in the middle of Texas or in the middle of you know Midwest. That's a different story, right there. You know, that'll be a little more challenging. And same with my kids. I mean, we've had vacations here; they've been around. There's family here, so it, I'm grateful that it was and thankful that it was not a difficult adjustment. And everybody was open and excited to come here and try this next phase of our lives together nobody was dragged here unwillingly <laughs> I'm grateful thank <laughs> you for that because I'm sure there are families that had to go through that yeah. kind of situation that the parents were assigned the job here and there and then the kids were just dragged out of mm. the Philippines and forced to go somewhere else that they didn't want to and that that happens a lot yeah. but I'm, I'm grateful that it didn't you know that didn't come into play in my situation so it, it was an easy transition you know yeah. thankfully so far right. so good
2: last my husband just (laughs) just texted me he was like oh yeah so he's a sports photographer and he's really you know um he just really is a big fan of yours and so he asked me this um are you excited with the recent influx of Asian American talents going to the NBA what do you think is the future of professional basketball and sports in general
0: oh for sure like you know absolutely for Jalen Green who is um, the biggest star that we're going to have very soon. He's a, he's a Phil Am. You know, he's really embraced his Filipino heritage. He's been to the Philippines twice. He's played, you know, some high school exhibition games there. And he's, he was part of the, the G League um, this last season. He's going to make the NBA next year as a top five, top ten pick. So wow. as great. And, and Jordan Clarkson is having a career year as well. He's probably going to be the sixth man of the year. His team, the Utah Jazz, they're the number one team in the, in the West right now. They're in the playoffs, so that's great. And of course, Kai Soto. So it's really exciting to see that. And if you look closely also, the, the management group that, that took care of Kai Soto and brought them here, they're called East-West Private. If you look them up on Instagram, they're doing their part in, in bringing Filipinos to the U.S. So they also have um, Kobe Paras, who's, mm-hmm. who left UP and he's here now. He's training with them.
1: Wow. They have
0: uh, Jack Animan, who's um, one of the best um, female basketball players in the Philippines who played professional for a while, I think in Japan, and now she's here trying out here. So they're helping a lot of the Filipinos try to break those barriers. And I've and spoken to them. They feel that it's going to take one or two to break that glass ceiling, whether it's Kai Soto or Jalen Green. And, and more younger Filipinos are going to see that it is possible and that they can dream bigger yes. than just the PBA. Not to knock on the PBA, but, but who's to say that You know, just because you're not born in the same country that you can't dream as big. You know, look at a lot of the Africans who made the NBA. You know, some of the Europeans who made the NBA. If they didn't dream big enough, they wouldn't be here. Right? So it's all about dreaming big and understanding that don't put any limiting beliefs on your dreams. It's free to dream and let that be your motivation and work hard every day.
2: Yeah. The world is your playground okay Absolutely. so those are you <laughs> um, so he's still messaging me sorry honey that's the end of it so <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed our episode today with TJ Monata I know it kind of like segue to sports but that's just what it is um, but of course our community is very important as well so I hope that you learn more than just actionable steps and insights when it comes to mental health resilience and dreaming bigger um, your career and a lot of things that we will tackle today and um, yeah so this is your host Cassie let's have more conversations like this drive your ambition serve love if you have any more questions just feel free to just message me or I'll just going to direct it to TJ himself otherwise mm-hmm. we'll see you next time thanks again everyone and thanks again TJ I appreciate you you're
0: welcome thank you bye
2: bye
1: You just finished listening to another episode of the Ambitious Tribe podcast by Cassie Pajarilio. If you liked today's episode, make sure to leave Cassie a review on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends on social media. It's also available on Spotify and Google Podcast. Don't forget to tag Cassie Pajarilio on Instagram or message her straight on LinkedIn. You may also head over to the Ambitious Tribe with a Plan Facebook group and be encouraged by soul-aligned and ambitious humans on the planet. Remember, you can definitely build a better business. The intro and outro for the Ambitious Tribe podcast were recorded by Dave Soltura. If you would like a voiceover for your own business, visit www. Dave